Good morning and welcome to our worship service here at First Church of New Knoxville this morning. Special welcome to any guests and visitors that we have with us here in the sanctuary this morning, as well as our radio listeners on T102. We're so glad you guys could join us here for this fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, just two days before Christmas. A special thank you to Grace Rediger and Sharon Chaney for our beautiful prelude this morning. So nice to have you guys playing together on the bench there. We do have several announcements in our bulletin if you'd like to uh, take a look at those with me. Uh, I'm going to highlight a couple of them, but I encourage you to, to look through the bulletin and see if there's anything else in there that is of interest to you or, or of importance to you in your schedule. Uh, a reminder that there is no Sunday school today, uh, being Christmas weekend. We, re- we will resume regular classes and the regular schedule next Sunday, December 30th. We do encourage you to invite your, to invite your friends and family to our Christmas Eve candlelight service tomorrow evening. Uh, the, there is a musicale, a half hour of special music that begins at seven. Uh, if you are a fan of Christmas music and enjoy that aspect of the holidays, we encourage you to join us at seven o'clock for that part. Um, and then the service, the candlelight service itself will begin at 7.30 p.m. immediately following that time of music. Uh, we, of course, hope all of you can be there, but it's also a great time to invite family and friends to just enjoy that special time of year as we're reminded of that great gift of that we've been given through Jesus Christ. Also, uh, in light of all that he's done for us, this is another, uh, this is the time of year where, uh, we like to, to give to others and be a blessing to those who are in need. And in light of that, we also have the giving tree, uh, that's still up over in the Heritage Room. Uh, that supports the Elizabeth New Life Center. Um, if you have not had an opportunity or would like to still, uh, purchase gifts for the, the, the New Life Center down in Sydney, um, you're able to do that. They will be coming to pick up the items on Thursday morning, December 27th. I see there's many things over there, so thank you to everyone who has already given uh, to that ministry. But if you'd like, there's still plenty of tags as well if you'd like to still be a blessing. Uh, just make sure the items are back here in the Heritage Room by the tree by Thursday morning, and they will come and pick up those items. Uh, with all of that, I encourage you now, uh, well, excuse me, uh, we will have the lighting of the Advent candle. I invite Rob and Matthew Michael forward for the lighting of the Advent candle. As we gather around the Advent wreath today, we rejoice that Christmas is a time of prayer And of open hearts, we sing songs of joy. Christmas is a time of worship, the moment when the busiest of us pause and wonder. Christmas happens when God comes to us in love through Jesus Christ and fills us with love for all people. John 3, 16 through 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is love. Such great love helps us to love God and one another.
John 13:34 through 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Let us pray. O oh God, we thank you that Jesus showed your love for every person, babies and children, old people and young, sick people and those who are strong, rich people and those who are poor. Come to us in this Advent season and give us the love in our hearts for all people. Amen. Thank you very much. I invite you now to stand, and if you're able, and join us in singing number 145, O Come All Ye Faithful.
Amen. I have a couple instructions for our children as they're coming up for children's chat. As you can see, we have the bell tables down front uh, prepared for tomorrow night's service. So uh, I'm going to ask all the children to gather up here on this part of the stage. You can use the stairs on either side. Uh, Jake and Pastor Tori are going to be kind of directing traffic for you. So this time I want to invite all the children to come forward for children's chat with Miss Nikki. And at this time, please greet your neighbors uh, and welcome them this morning. I have something super interesting today. Santa's list. But it's only part of it. This is just part three. Uh, you know the song. He's making a list, checking it first. Oh, yeah, I know that song, too. Um, so I grabbed the part that has my family in it. <laughs> so you, you don't mind if I look up me, right? i got to know if I'm on the naughty or nice list. So let's see. It says, hmm... Says Mrs. Warble, nice but has been naughty before. What? Well, that's, there's something wrong with this book. I just know it. Oh, let's see. What if I look up Miss Shelby? Can I look up Miss Shelby? Okay, okay. Okay, so it's, uh, nice but has been naughty before. What? going on here? Surely, Mr. Rohrbaugh. <laughs> He's got to be on the nice list, I'm sure. Let's see. Um, yeah, Nice, but has been naughty before. What? What is wrong with this book? I think someone's trying to prank me. I mean, but in all these pages, like, look, there keeps being pictures of Jesus. You see him? Huh. They keep, there's, huh. Hmm. Let's see. Here on the back it says, a lot of people think God is like Santa Claus. They see, they think that if he sits up on a throne in heaven and looks down to see, like, people are naughty or nice, all like Santa. <laughs> uh, but, and if we do enough nice things that, or less naughty things, then we get to go to heaven. But that isn't the way God works at all. When God looks down at us, he sees that everybody has sinned and has fallen short. None of us deserve to be on the nice list or to go to heaven because of our own good choices. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. And Christmas is about what? Jesus' birthday. That's right, Jesus' birthday. So, since God sent Jesus to be born in a stable and die on the cross for our sins, if we put our trust in Jesus, God will write our name in the book of life and can never, ever be erased. Now, if we think about the stories about Santa, if I make choices, I could be put on the naughty list, right? Yeah, if I make choices. But if I make choices and do my best, God will always love and forgive me no matter what. I like God a lot more than Santa Claus because said I've been naughty before. <gasps> but God loves me and God loves you too. And he is always going to forgive us and he's always going to love us. And he's always, always, always going to forgive us for our sins. Okay, let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for our little ones. Teach us to be strong. Teach us to be brave. And teach us to love like you. Help us to remember the true meaning of Christmas is about your son and your love for us. Amen. Thank you. Would you be careful and safe going back to your spot? Thank you. Thank you. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I invite you to stand with us again and sing number 137, What Child Is This? be seated. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we are grateful that you are here with us this morning, that your word promises us that when two or three are gathered in your name, uh, that you'll be present with your people. And so we hold on to that hope. We hold on to that promise that as we gather to worship you, that your presence is here in this place. We thank you, Lord, that that through your presence uh, we can know and experience your love and your grace and your mercy. At this time of year we celebrate uh, the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that, that your Advent brings. 
that the birth of Christ instills in our hearts and in our minds. And today as we reflect on the love that you have for us, Lord, we ask that your love would be made real in our own lives and and that we would be able to extend and share that love with others as well. Lord, we pray especially this morning for those who have lost loved ones over the past year. As the holidays approach, as as Christmas draws near, um, this is often a time where where that grief and that sorrow is revisited, uh, that we miss our, our ones that have gone before us to be with you. And so we, we pray especially now, this day, that families who have experienced loss recently, or even, Lord, those that are still feeling the, the impact of lost loved ones in the past, we pray especially for them, that your love would be made real and experienced in a new and profound way this year. Lord, you are the comforter of the grieving and you are, you bring comfort to those who sorrow. And so we ask that you would fulfill that promise among your people this day. Lord, we, we especially, uh, rejoice in the love that you have for this, this world, your people. Uh, as, as we heard read already this morning that it was your love that motivated you to send Jesus Christ into this world. And it's your love that motivates you to, to now give us the gift of your Holy Spirit to be among your people even now. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be able to take that love, that we would be able to um, rejoice in it, but also extend and share that love with everyone we meet. Lord, we, we also, in, in, in loving service to you, we lift up our, our prayer requests and, and knowing full well, Lord, that you are able to work and, and that your will is what's best for us. Lord, we often pray what we want or what we, what we think we need. Um, but this morning we come to you and we lift up our concerns, our burdens, our requests to you, whatever they may be, uh, those that are represented in the bulletin and those that we simply carry in in our own hearts. Lord, we, we ask that your will would be done in those situations. We do ask for healing where it's needed. We ask for your provision and your care where it's needed, Lord. And ultimately we ask that those things would be accomplished and, and um, experience through your will and your presence in our lives. And Lord, we, we trust that your will is what's best for us. And so we pray all these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, and not in our own merit, but in his, according to the way he taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward, as the choir blesses us with another song this morning, Holy Infant El Shaddai.
For those of you who can, please remain standing. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Our second scripture this morning comes from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the rulers of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers will return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Thank you, Maria. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to once again stand before you and your people and and share your uh, word. And I pray that you would help us to to know and understand, Lord, um, just how great you are, and uh, and help us to not take you for granted. We ask that I ask that you would give me words to speak this morning, and that you'd open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. We pray this now in Christ's name, Amen. Now, many of you know that, uh, obviously, I did not grow up here in New Knoxville. Uh, I am originally from western New York. I was born and raised there uh, before going to college in Indiana. And one of the things about growing up in western New York is that uh, you kind of, everybody gets an opportunity to go to Niagara Falls. Uh, I'm not sure some of you have probably been there. Uh, but when you grow up in western New York, at least for me, it was just Niagara Falls. It was just there. Right? It didn't seem like anything special or out of the ordinary because it was so close. For, for example, we went there for our fifth grade class trip. That was just what we did. You know, we went and we rode on the Maid of the Mist. We, we saw the sights and, and for us it was, it was a special thing, but, but it was almost in our backyard. And so, so growing up, I didn't think Niagara Falls was anything particularly special. Right. It was it was something that I had easy access to It was a place that I had gone to several times growing up. And so it was easy to just, in a sense, take it for granted. Um, and then as I as I grew up and as I as I moved away from Western New York, I realized that that was not the case for pretty much everyone else in the world. Right. Niagara Falls is a special place. Uh, the, the beauty, the, the to just be there is is a once in a lifetime experience for a lot of people. 
Um, I know we're not too terribly far away from it here in Ohio, but even even so, it's still a rare experience for many people to go and actually witness uh, the the falls and to especially ride the Maid of the Mist and get that close to something so so powerful and so beautiful. In fact, when I was a youth pastor at my last church, uh, we took a mission trip one year to my hometown. We got to go to Jamestown and, and uh, spend our time at my old church, and we did service projects around the area, got to take them to my parents' house and have a bonfire. It was a really cool experience as a youth pastor to be able to share those things with the students that I was working with. Uh, and one of the things we did at the very end of our trip is we took them to Niagara Falls, and we we did the whole experience, right? We went out, um, we stayed on the American side because I didn't want to take the kids out of the country and worry about all of that stuff. Uh, so we stayed on the American side and, and there's like a, a bridge that extends about halfway across the river and you can get out and get a good look at the falls while still staying on the American side. And we did the Maid of the Mist and I just remember just the, the awe and the just just the astonishment that that these students had being there and experiencing that and and it was then that I realized like how how much I had taken that for granted growing up and for them what a unique experience that was when we take something for granted we don't realize just how special it is just how magnificent or wonderful that is whether it's Niagara Falls, whether that's um, family and just a beautiful experience that that is, or whether that is Christ himself. And so in order to, to prevent ourselves from taking things for granted, we really do need to see things with fresh eyes. Like Mary and Elizabeth in this passage, we should be filled with awe and respect and holy fear for God. When we realize all that He's done for us, and the fact that, especially this time of year as we celebrate Christmas, the fact that God Himself became like one of us, to live among us, to, to live a perfectly obedient life in submission to the Father, and eventually die and rise again for our salvation. That should not be something that we take for granted, and yet so many of us do. We take for granted the fact that He became like one of us. We take for granted for the fact that even though we've sinned, He has redeemed us and made us new. I think this is especially true for, for people that have grown up in the church and have been in Sunday school since before they can remember. What a blessing that is. Not everyone has that advantage or has that privilege of, of growing up in the church and, and always knowing about the Lord. But yet that comes with its own challenges as well, doesn't it? And, and one of those is, is, is taking for granted all that the Lord has done. In fact, it was often those who were outside the people of faith that were most impacted and most affected by Jesus' ministry as he traveled around and taught and healed people and, and pointed people to the kingdom of God. It was not always the religious leaders that knew the Bible inside and out that responded with joy and thanksgiving to the gospel. It was those that were outside of the faith the so-called sinners and tax collectors and, and those that were the least expected to, to respond to God's goodness, they were the ones that responded with joy and awe and wonder. And so I, I believe it was because we often, for those of us who it's so familiar to us, we often take the Lord and what he's done for us for granted. And so I want to encourage us today, the last Sunday before Christmas, to not take for granted all that the Lord has done for us. Today's theme for the Advent wreath is love. 
And it was love that motivated God to do all of this in the first place. We heard John 3:16 and 17 read for us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. If we really think about that, those two verses sum up what God has done for us. And and the reason behind it all is love. God's love for us and for his people, for his creation. He did not want to leave us lost in our sin and our brokenness. He wanted to redeem us in order to bring us into his family and bring us into his kingdom. And that is something that, if we truly stop and think about it, should fill us with awe and wonder and joy, just like it did for Mary and Elizabeth. So I want to pause for a moment this morning and think about why we often take Jesus for granted. I think these passages that Maria read for us give us a clue as to why we often do that. And so we're going to take a look at three different things this morning. First, we often take Jesus for granted when we have misplaced expectations of who he is. We often take Jesus for granted when we ignore the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we often take Jesus for granted when we don't trust in his promises like he calls us to do. So we're going to take a look at each one of those in turn. First, we take Jesus for granted when we have misplaced expectations. Throughout the Old Testament, we have prophecies, we have passages of Scripture that point ahead in time and point towards the coming of the Messiah. One of them was read for you this morning from Micah chapter 2. This is, in fact, the passage that uh, the scribes and the teachers of the law pointed to when Herod heard about this new king that was born, and he wanted to know where to look for him. It was this passage from Micah chapter 2 that, that they pointed to, describing the birthplace of the Messiah to be Bethlehem. And so we have a, a scripture just filled with, with uh, passages pointing us to Christ and pointing us to what that person would be like. And the problem was we often we often don't understand or we take those out of context. We don't realize the ways in which Christ has fulfilled those things. And then if we're honest with ourselves, we often supplement them with our own ideas and our own beliefs as well. And so we have to, we have to understand the difference between what our expectations are and what the reality is of who, of who Christ is and what he's come to do. Some of the expectations that, that one of the big expectations, I should say, that, that God's people had before Christ's coming was that the Messiah would be this conquering king who would ride in on a horse and defeat all of God's enemies there and then. And of course, at the time of Christ, the big bad enemy was Rome. They were the occupying force. They were the ones who were in charge and, and were holding um, God's people under their authority. And before the Romans, there were the Babylonians and the Syrians and the, and the, and the Persians. There was a long list of people that, or excuse me, a long list of nations that had conquered God's people. And so their expectation for decades, for hundreds of years even, was that God's Messiah would come and rescue their people. That he would come in and, and once and for all establish God's kingdom there and then in Jerusalem. And so even the disciples, you see glimpses of this in the Gospels, the disciples expecting Jesus to fulfill that promise, fulfill that hope. They say things like, are you going to now establish the kingdom? You know, the, Peter defends Jesus with the sword. They ask if, if it's okay to call down fire from heaven and destroy these people who are opposing Jesus. 
during his ministry. Those, those actions, those thoughts were all wrapped up in this idea that the Messiah would be this conquering king who would ride in and destroy their enemies then and there. But that's not what God had planned at that time. We often supplement our own ideas of who God is and what, what we expect of him as well. Sometimes we view God as a cosmic vending machine, don't we? We expect God to fulfill our wishes for us. If we were to just put in the right amount of money or, or press the right buttons or jump through the right hoops, God is, has to, is obligated to do what I want him to do. We'll get the right results. We'll get the right answer to our prayers if we just do certain things. The problem with that is that God obviously doesn't work that way, does he? God doesn't bow down to our expectations. He calls us to submit ourselves to his will. And so we can't manipulate God into doing what we want him to do, even though that is often a a wish of ours that he would work that way. And another expectation is that we often perceive God to be distant and uninvolved in this world for the good or for the bad, right? We, We think that he's distant and uninvolved. He doesn't really care about us. Why would he, the great God, the creator of the universe, care about what's going on in my life? Right? Or on the other end of the spectrum, we think we can get away with whatever we want because he's some distant parent who isn't paying attention and we can easily get our fingers in the cookie jar, right? And so, so we think he's uncaring, uninvolved, but we also think that means then we can get away with whatever we want. Those are all expectations, and there's probably more. We could list them off. Uh, but those are the ones that, that came to my mind immediately. There's a saying that I've heard before. It says, in the beginning, God created men and women in his own image. And ever since, we've been trying to return the favor. Right? We try to create our own God that fits our expectations and fits our desires. But, but that's not the reality of who God is. You see, the, the reality is that instead of that conquering king that they expected, we see a Christ who was born in humble circumstances with no fanfare surrounding his birth besides some shepherds and angels from heaven proclaiming his goodness. He was born in a small and unimportant town and grew up, honestly, kind of out in the boondocks in Nazareth. Right? This unimportant backwater of a town. In fact, so much so that when Jesus began his ministry, people began to question, can anything good ever come from Nazareth? Right? There was this, there was no expectations, there was no um, fanfare surrounding his birth or his life. Instead of a conquering king or a cosmic vending machine or a distant and uninvolved God, we see a, a shepherd who cares for, loves, and lays down his life for the, for the flock. In Micah chapter 5, it describes how this king, this Messiah, who was born in Bethlehem, would rule as a shepherd. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live, secu- live securely, for then, his, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus picks on this, picks up on this theme as well as others throughout Scripture in John chapter 10 when he describes himself as the great shepherd of the sheep. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7, Jesus says, Therefore, me, therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me 
will find path, through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. See, Jesus came to be that good shepherd, to watch, to care for. And a good shepherd guards and protects his flock. A good shepherd will put himself in harm's way in order to protect the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. You see, there is, there is no greater strength than the willingness to lay down your life for someone you care about. And in John 15, verse 13, we see Jesus explaining that very same truth, that there, no great, greater love has no one than this, that a person should lay down their life for a friend. There's no greater strength than laying down your life for someone else. There's no greater majesty, no greater glory than the cross. What seemed like the, the end of it all, what seemed like the greatest defeat was in fact the greatest victory. That was the moment when Jesus became the conquering king, was his apparent defeat on the cross. Because it was through the cross and through his resurrection that Jesus redeemed his people. Jesus conquered sin and death and the enemy. And was raised again to glory. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11, through 11, that great Christ hymn describes that it was through Jesus' obedience to the Father, obedience even to the point of death, that all people, that all creatures in heaven and earth and under the earth will one day bow down and acknowledge that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was through His death and His resurrection that He became that conquering King and established His kingdom in this world. See, Jesus will come again as that conquering king. He will defeat all of his enemies and establish a kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. But he came first in order to lay down his life, in order to create a people for himself. People who are no longer his enemies because he has redeemed them and brought them into his kingdom. He came first as a child so that we may be by his side when he returns as a conquering king question we have to ask ourselves is what are our unmet expectations of Christ and we need to examine those in light of scripture because I've from my own experience I've realized that that often the reason we have unmet expectations is because our expectations are not in the right place one day during Jesus's ministry he was traveling with his disciples this is in Matthew chapter 16 beginning at verse 13 when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
You see, we all have to ask that question of ourselves. Who do we say that Christ is? And there were some unmet expectations of Jesus throughout his ministry because people confused him for for someone else. They were labeling him in ways that that weren't accurate or weren't weren't descriptive of, of who Christ is and what he's come to do. It's only until Peter acknowledged that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that, that, that things began to click for the disciples. And Jesus began to reveal more to them about, about his death and his resurrection and the real plan that God had to redeem his people. But it was that acknowledgement and that, that understanding of who Jesus is. It's only when we recognize Jesus for who he is and what he's come to do and we try not to pigeonhole him any longer in our, in our little boxes that we truly appreciate him and quit taking him for granted. We can appreciate him and be in awe of who he is as the Messiah, the Christ, the one who has laid down his life for us instead of just a cosmic vending machine to, in order to get what we want. And so we take him for granted when we have unmet expectations, but we also take him for granted when we ignore the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The scene between Mary and Elizabeth is so interesting because previous to this, uh, an angel had visited Zechariah, who was Elizabeth's husband, and, and foretold the birth of their son, who would become John the Baptist. But they had no, no, uh, no promise or no understanding of, of Mary's pregnancy and what she was going through and who the reality of who she was bearing in her womb even then. And so we get the scene of, of Mary being told, we, previous to this, Mary is told that Elizabeth is with, with child and, and that pregnancy will be a, a sign to her of the reality of her, her pregnancy and the reality that, that she was bearing Jesus, the Messiah, in her womb. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and, and as soon as she enters the house, as soon as she says hello to her cousin, it says that, that the baby, John the Baptist, and, and, and Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was then, without Mary explaining anything, without, without anybody telling her, that Elizabeth knew and understood the reality of their situation. That Mary was the mother of her Lord. That Mary had trusted and believed the promises that God had made to her. And I believe it's because the Holy Spirit was, was in Elizabeth and was, was revealing those things to her. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore recognized the truth of Mary's pregnancy. And it's the Holy Spirit that, that helps us to understand and points us to Christ and the reality of His work in this world. We may ask ourselves often, what does the Holy Spirit do? What is His work? What is His role in our lives? How does He work? And that is a whole sermon series in its, of itself. I don't have time to cover all of those bases this morning. But I do want to help us, I do want to point us to the fact that the Holy Spirit helps us to understand who God is and what He's doing in this world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul helps us to, points us to this reality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul had previously said that the cross is foolishness to the world. It doesn't make sense what God has done through Christ and the work that He had um, all that he had done, uh, it doesn't make sense to those who don't believe and don't understand. To those without the Holy Spirit, it may seem like foolishness. It may not make any sense. It's a stumbling block for Jews and, and, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then Paul goes on in chapter 2 to, to explain why that is so. 
in chapter in verse six, he says, we do, however, speak a message to the of message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of the age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And here's the important part. Verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has not, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. And I share that with you today because because in order to, to really understand what God is doing in this world, in order to understand his word as he's revealed it to us, we need to, to have the spirit. We need to need to be willing to allow God to work in and through us. And and it's it's through the spirit as we as we read his word, as we study it, he will help us to understand what we're reading. And I'm not talking about anything out of the ordinary here. I'm not talking about anything um, anything out of the ordinary, but I'm talking about God helping us to understand his word. He's given us a spirit in order to understand and to, to, to point us to him. And that's what we see going on here with Elizabeth as well. The Holy Spirit was revealing the, the truth of, of who this child was. And, and helping her to understand and filling her with joy as a result of that. You see, it's also the Holy Spirit that helps us to know and understand that we are, in fact, children of God. We don't have time to read Romans 8 this morning, but I encourage you to do that this day. Uh, it's all about how the Holy Spirit helps us to understand our place in God's family. It's, it's His Spirit that, that helps our spirit to know and call out to Him as our, as our Heavenly Father. It helps us to know that we do, in fact, belong to his family. But when we ignore the spirit, when we ignore his prompting, when we ignore his leading in our lives, we are taking him for granted. We're taking the Lord for granted, and we can't truly appreciate all that he's done for us. And so finally, we also take him for granted when when we don't trust in his promises. At the end of this passage, Elizabeth tells Mary, you know, blessed are you for having known and received Um, excuse me. She says, blessed is she speaking to Mary who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You know, Mary is blessed. Mary is special because she trusted in what God was doing in her life. And we've already talked about that on previous occasions, her willingness to submit to the Lord and, and his plan for her and his plan for this whole world. In the same way, God has made promises to all of us through his scripture. God has, God has, has reached out to us and promises through his word. And it's our, our response to that is to trust and believe what he's, 
what He's calling us to do and what He's promised to do for us in His Word. And there's so many promises that are fulfilled at this at Christmas. Dating all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the very first proclamation of the gospel, that though the serpent may strike out at, at the heel of the woman, the, the, her seed, her offspring, will crush its head. The very first pronouncement of, of God's good news that he will defeat the enemy is being fulfilled at the birth of Christ. Moses has promised a prophet who will follow him. David has promised a descendant who will sit on his throne and reign forever. The prophet Isaiah gives us the hope of of the Emmanuel, the child who is God with us. And all throughout Scripture we see the promise of, of God's chosen one, his Messiah, his Christ, who will come and redeem his people and establish his kingdom in this world. In the New Testament, Jesus himself even promises to be that we will be with him forever. In John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one day I will come to bring with you to be with me where I am. And Thomas, the known for his doubts, responds, how can we go for we don't know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus promises that, that he, is, he is preparing a place for us. And these are all promises that are based in Scripture. And there's promises that are, made, that are made to us as well, promises that help us to understand who we are and, and what God has done for us. Um, promises that he makes us in his word. I was given this once. This is for you on the radio. This isn't going to help. But for those of you who are here with us today, I have a piece of paper here. And it's, it's, it's promises about our identity in Christ uh, that he has made us in Scripture. And I don't, can't read all these for you, but they're things like, I am God's child from John chapter 1, verse 12. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And it lists out all these promises that God makes us in his word and, and how our identity is rooted in him. And, and, and we, our call is, not, is to trust in those promises, to hold on to them. Because if we don't truly believe who Christ is, then we can't truly know who we are because our identity is rooted in him. And so in order to truly be the people that he has called us to be, we need to quit taking it for granted and believe him at his word. Trust in the promises, even if we don't feel like it at the time, even if it doesn't always make sense to us, we can know his word and we can trust in those promises. And when we do, then, then we will know and experience God's will for our lives. And in order to do that, in order to to ha- not have misplaced expectations, in order to not ignore the work of the Holy Spirit, in order to, to really trust in His promises, we need to know His Word. We need to be in His Word and, and, and studying it for ourselves and, and really holding on to those promises. And at the same time also, if we don't take Jesus for granted, we must, that means we must be willing to reach out and extend grace to others and share that love and that hope and that joy. And so I encourage you to do that this Christmas. Share love. Be, don't take Christ for granted. Really enjoy and celebrate the majesty that is Christmas and that is his birth. And look forward with hopeful anticipation of his coming again as his word promises us he will. And in the meantime, as we look forward to that, share that love, share that hope, peace, and joy with everyone you meet. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are... Your great love for us, um, that even as we take you for granted, 
You have filled us with your spirit to know you. You have sent your son to die on the cross to redeem us. And it's by those promises, Lord, that we can truly be in awe of you. Help us to do that this day. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing our closing song this morning. It's in your bulletin. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.